This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is brought to you by TBR, Book Riot subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Looking for the perfect gift for the book lovers in your life this holiday season? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot subscription service offering tailored book recommendations as diverse and interesting as readers are. Choose from plans that allow your loved ones to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or year-long subscription and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today and give the bookish folks in your life a personalized bookish experience they can enjoy without leaving their home. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Yukura. We're recording on Saturday, November 21st. Hi, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you this week? Um, we, we were talking right beforehand. I feel like time is wonky. It is. Yeah. I uh I don't know if it's just that that there's so much to get done all of a sudden, but yesterday I at on Friday afternoon at work, I was like, well, it feels like Wednesday because I <laughs> my brain is like <laughs> there's there's still work to be done. Like yeah. you still have to do things. It's not the end. Yeah, I don't know how are you doing. Yeah, I I feel similarly like it just like time has sort of no meaning, but also it's moving very quickly and it sort of hit me all this week how many things that we have uh, at my day job have talked about like by the end of the year we should have this thing done and all of a sudden it's nearly December and uh, that is coming up. But then also like I have no actual plans really between now and the end of the year. So yeah, it's it's just been it's been a strange, strange time. Yeah. So I, I have one small piece of actual book, bookish follow-up. I read and finished We Keep the Dead Close by Becky Cooper, which was a book that came out in early November, a true crime book about a 1969 murder at Harvard University and a young woman who sets out to kind of investigate this cold case that was never solved. And it was, it's gotten lots of really good reviews, and I would like to concur with all of them. It is it's awesome. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> the way she like structures the book is really awesome. Like there's one timeline where she's kind of walking you through the murder and uh, kind of the aftermath of it. And then there's another one where she's walking you through like her own investigation. But then there's also another one where she's giving you sort of the most contemporary updates about it. And it just it keeps the tension going. And it's so interesting. I do wish it had been like just slightly shorter. I felt like it dragged a little bit right at the end when I sort of was like, I just want to know how this thing wraps up. Come on, let's go. But otherwise, it was really awesome. Amazing. 
Okay, and did you read Say Nothing? Because again, I feel like it was so not like similar as in like, oh, they like cribbed from it, what but like it just mm-hmm. it had like a I would I would pair them together for sure. Yeah, I read like half of Say Anything and then I never finished it and I don't remember why because it was really good. So I should go back and just finish it. It is really good. I I did it on audiobook because I feel like, did you recommend that? Someone did because there's there's a good like accent on the audiobook. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I but I agree. I see how they would be paired there. They have a similar approach, I think, to the crime, but then also like situating the crime in in context. And keep the dead close in the context of like academia and Harvard and the 1960s and 70s. And then we keep the dead close with Ireland and the troubles there. So yeah, totally. I totally see that comparison. Uh, All right. So uh, before we get going, we're going to take a minute for our first sponsor of the episode. Uh, We are sponsored by the new Sotheby's Wine Encyclopedia by Tom Stevenson. Uh, So with more than 4.25 billion bottles of wine purchased by Americans just last year, followed closely by 3.6 billion by France and 3 billion by Italy, there's no time like the present to learn about the captivating world of wine. Beautifully illustrated with more than 400 stunning photographs and 100 maps, this breathtaking encyclopedia is ranged geographically to highlight the regions and climates that produce the best vintage wines. Each page is packed with information on flavor notes, vineyard profiles, tasting room guides, and grape know-how with special information on unique varietals. Uh, which that sounds really amazing because I always feel like I want to know more about wine and like you just need sort of a, a, a guide for you. So it feels like this would be a great holiday gift for someone in your life who is a big wine person. So that is the new Sotheby's Wine Encyclopedia by Tom Stevenson. Uh, and so this week, our, uh, as, as with every week, our first segment is nonfiction in the news. Uh, and we have a couple of award uh, news things to share about some great books. So Alice, yours is first. Yeah, so we had the Carnegie Medals shortlist just released. Um, this uh, the short the long list is pretty long. Um, the shortlist has three titles for fiction, three titles for nonfiction. So for our purposes, uh, the three nonfiction titles are Fathoms: The World in the Whale by Rebecca Giggs, which uh, I'm always down for a whale book, so that's great. Just Us, An American Conversation by Claudia Rankin, which also fantastic. Uh, and then Memorial Drive, A Daughter's Memoir by Natasha Traithaway. So that one, I remember being very psyched about and then uh, I slipped off my radar. So I was glad to have the reminder mm-hmm. that <laughs> this is a book and it's very good. It just came out. Yeah. Remind me what the Carnegie Medal is or who it's from. Oh, the Carnegie Medal is... From the American Library Association, it is the only book award that is chosen by librarians. Nice. So, which, you know, I, I extra trust librarians and their taste with books. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like it's always good just to like um, keep an eye on the ones that they choose because I, I usually just trust that they're going to be good. And the ones I've read from previous winners have been really good, um, including I think I read Dope Sick last year. And that was great. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so the other like big bookish award news this week was the National Book Award winners were announced, I believe, on Thursday. So they award prizes in a bunch of different areas. For our purposes, again, the nonfiction award winner of the National Book Award was The Dead Are Arising, The Life of Malcolm X by Les Payne and Tamara Payne, which is another one that I have not read, but um, I've heard very good things about it. And usually the National Book Award winners are – I appreciate that they normally uh, – give some they're connected to things that are kind of going on contemporarily but also are usually just really well done books so the dead are arising national book award winner in nonfiction. Uh, and so with that we will jump into new nonfiction. we're going to do a little bit of an abbreviated segment this week because we want to get into our holiday gift guide so we have three new titles to talk about uh, and alice you're up first 
Oh, yeah. This is going to be a little shorter, as Kim just said. Uh, but my first new pick is Fevers, Feuds, and Diamonds, Ebola and the Ravages of History by Paul Farmer. It was out November 17th from FSG. This is sort of focusing on in 2014, Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea suffered the worst epidemic of Ebola in history. So this sort of, there was a um, a clinical desert in these areas. So there were basically, there was no access to basic healthcare facilities. And so this caused severe loss of life and economic disruption. So they were, they're calling it this major tragedy of modern medicine, but then saying, why did it happen? What can we learn from it? Obviously, given, you know, the state of everything, um, I thought that this was especially interesting. I've read a couple books about disease this year. I feel like you can either write, like, go the complete opposite direction and be like, I want to read nothing about it, mm -hmm. <laughs> or like, kind of just be like, uh, maybe I'm going to focus on it for a sec. So, and this being a new release, and I was really into the book The Hot Zone, which came out in the 90s, which was also about the Ebola outbreak that, like, everyone got really freaked out about. Do you remember that? I do. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, we were, I mean, we were like pretty little, but little, I still, yeah. it was still an impact. You're still mm -hmm. like, oh, something's happening. So this is obviously much more like modern. It was only six years ago. But if you're interested in kind of, I would say like the structure of medical response and identifying like where things went wrong and what's being done, particularly in, in that area with Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea, uh, this it sounds really good. So Fevers, Feuds, and Diamonds, Ebola and the Ravages of History by Paul Farmer. That sounds awesome. Yeah, Paul Farmer is a super interesting guy. Um, he was profiled by author Tracy Kidder in a book called Mountains Beyond Mountains. And like the work that he's done with his organization Partners in Health to try and provide medical care to people in underserved areas like across the globe is really, it's super inspiring. So great pick. My first pick is uh, called Loved and Wanted, a memoir of choice, children, and womanhood by Christina Parvani. Uh, and this is our sponsor last week, but I already had it on my TBR to read, and it is really great, and I am excited to talk about it a little more. So the premise of the memoir is that uh, when she was 40 years old, uh, Christina Parvani discovers that she is unexpectedly pregnant. Um, her life situation at the time was really complicated. She was, had a troubled marriage. Their finances were really in difficult straits. And her position as a university, becoming pregnant with her third child, like just was not feasible with the life that she was living at the time. And so she lives in West Virginia. And so she decides that she needs to have an abortion and then discovers that she she can't. The doctor that she sees at her local clinic won't perform the procedure. It is very far to travel in West Virginia to get to someplace that will. Um, given all of the other circumstances with her children and her husband and her job, it just becomes really impossible. And so by the time she realizes she will have to leave the state to have the procedure performed, it's too late. And so she has this child that is really difficult in that situation and then discovers that even after her child is born, the medical system is just not set up to support his medical needs and the needs of her family in that area. Um, and so it's just kind of a look at motherhood and medicine and the politics around all of these issues. And whether you're, regardless of your feelings on abortion, I think part of the thing that was really infuriating to me is like, this is a legal medical procedure, and yet she finds herself in a place in the United States where it is basically impossible for her to have this procedure performed for her despite – and then when she can't, she does not receive the support she needs to even make having this child feasible for her family. Um, and so I, I think it's a really sobering book, but also one that I – it's really beautifully written, and I've, I've found it very interesting. So that is Loved and Wanted, A Memoir of Choice, Children, and Womanhood by Krista Parvati. Oh, that sounds really good. 
kind of super switching gears from that is uh, <laughs> I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom. It was on November 17th from Grand Central Publishing. The second I got this galley, I read it. I was so <laughs> excited for this book. And it's, you know, it's kind of the typical, like, here are a series of comedic essays, but um, it's Rachel Bloom. So, you know, so it's good. Uh, So this is basically saying that she has felt abnormal and out of place her whole life. And she goes through, starting from childhood, she shares um, diary entries from when she was little, poetry and drawings. There is a sample resume for aspiring actors that is obviously, you know, like a joke resume. And uh, there's like a musical chapter, like there's so many things, but there's also like a lot about um, mental health, uh, a lot about being um, bullied in middle school and um, kind of how those issues carried forward, I guess, with her throughout her life. Um, There's definitely a good section about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and how it got made, which uh, I don't know if people were familiar with Rachel Bloom's like hilarious YouTube videos Mm -hmm. where uh, she has her Ray Bradbury song, which was my number one played song on Spotify for one year. (laughs) And and then uh, kind of from that and that work that she did. She also talks about like her time in improv, but um, and her romantic relationships, which were uh, challenging, I would say, to say the least. But um, the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend part's neat. She also talks about in that section how basically they snuck stuff past the censors. <laughs> so it was like, it was like, oh, the censors challenged me on this. And so I gave them this, which was also like kind of dirty. But like, they, it was fine. Like, they, they, for some reason, they accepted that one. Because it, I kept forgetting it was on the CW. Yeah. So it was like, this wasn't like a, a cable show. Mm-hmm. Do people still say cable show? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, it's it's really good. I Because I got it as a galley, I didn't get to listen to it as an audiobook. I bet it would be really good as an audiobook. Except, of course, then you don't get her drawings. But, like, you, you can look at a co- – well, you can't look at a copy in a bookstore. It's COVID. But um, you can, like, find them somewhere, I'm sure. So anyway, it's really good. It's I think it would be good for this time of year just as, like, a little – Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was going to say comedic memoir, but again, she does deal with some tougher issues in it. So it's it's a real mix, I would say. So that is I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom. That sounds really good. And I have to say, I do love the cover of it as well. It's very funny. Oh, yeah. It's like um, those books that were out in like 1994 in grade school. Yeah. It, it looks almost like a Babysitter's Club book title in like the way that it's illustrated and stuff. But then also like, yeah, it's just very funny. Yeah. She is a creative genius. I'm just gonna going to say it. Throw it out there. Okay, so our second sponsor, let's get into it. It is A Drop of Midnight by Jason Diakite. At the heart of a black man beats the blood of his ancestors. Born to American parents in Sweden, Jason Diakite grew up between worlds, writing a cultural and racial divide. It was a no man's land that left him in constant search of self. Even after his hip-hop career took off, Jason fought to unify a complex system of family roots that branched across continents, ethnicities, classes, and eras to find his sense of belonging. What he found was a story only he can tell. Uh, You can read or listen to this memoir for free with Prime, and that is Amazon.com slash A Drop of Midnight. Jason Diakite is one of Sweden's most well-known hip-hop artists. He was born in Lund to interracial American parents, and his memoir, A Drop of Midnight, has sold more than 100,000 copies in Sweden. That's amazing. I know. Like, 
Dang. Also, I really love that title. Um, so again, to check that out, you can go to amazon.com slash a drop of midnight. Sounds awesome. Great sponsor. Uh, So now we are getting into the meat of this episode, which is our holiday gift guide. So we have gotten some questions from listeners about books either for themselves or for family members. And so we're going to read those questions and then recommend some titles that might make holiday gifts for themselves or the people in their lives. So I'm really excited about this. We got some really great questions. Yeah. So question one is from Clem saying, being isolated for so much of this year makes me want to expose myself to people with different experiences and expand my point of view a bit. A couple of the blind spots that I need to work on are I am cis, my understanding of transgender experiences is superficial, and I would like to deepen it. I would prefer a personal story to a didactic book if possible. I heard the recommendation for tomorrow will be different, and I wonder if there are other memoirs you would recommend. Yes, we we have some we could recommend. Kim, do you want to go? Yes. My pick is Stuck in the Middle with You, A Memoir of Parenting in Three Genders by Jennifer Finney Boylan. Uh, And this is a really great memoir about uh, a man who transitions to a woman and then how that changes their relationship with their wife and how that changes their relationship with their children. Um, so the Jennifer Finney Boylan um, goes through her transition later in life, and so already has teenage sons and has been married for many years. And so the memoir is just really all about how that change and how coming into herself and coming into her own identity affects her family and how it, you know, deepens but also makes some complexity in all of those relationships. So I think it's a really great book when you're thinking about how – choices affect families and how families look different and can look different and how we can experience them differently. So I really loved this one. I thought it was very um, open and honest and um, frank about both the the great things and the challenges of being a transgender person in a relationship and with a family. So that is Stuck in the Middle with You, a memoir of parenting in three genders by Jennifer Finney Boylan. She's such a good writer. Mm-hmm. So good. She has a bunch of books. But yeah, that that seems like the best one, definitely, for this question. And then my pick for this was Redefining Realness, My Path to Womanhood, Identity, Love, and So Much More by Janet Mock. This actually was, I pretty much only read books, I think, by Jennifer Finney Boylan. And this was really helpful for, you know, kind of hammering home that idea that there is not just one story and there is not just one path to something. So I would say Finney Boylan comes to things with with a pretty privileged background, right? Like she mm-hmm. is a professor, she's white, and I think that the the transition, there are some things that were a little easier. I, I don't think that that's a, a challenging thing to say. Whereas Janet Mock talks about um, being born, I think she grew up in Hawaii, and uh, she basically, one of the things that she had to do was doing um, sex work in order to pay for her transition, because it was like, this was so important to her to get done that she was like, well, this is just, it was kind of, it's kind of like matter of fact, like, this is just a thing I had to do. I will say there is some childhood sexual abuse that happens in the book. So if, you know, if you can't deal with that, then, you know, maybe, maybe skip it. But just from having that, like, she grew up, she was poor, and um, having to deal with, obviously, like, racism on top of everything, and then really coming into her own and becoming the, like, extremely impressive individual that she is. And her book, like, this first one, she has a second book, but her first one really, like, covers that journey of, like, how she became herself. So it's just, it's really good. I would really recommend it. So Redefining Realness by Janet Mock. Excellent. Good pick. 
And then the second part of this question, because there is more, thank you very much, Clem, is I'm an atheist. I was raised by a secular family in France, a very secular country. I've read books about people leaving their religions or cults, which I found fascinating, but I wonder if you can recommend a book by a believer about their faith without being about proselytization. I would be particularly interested in Muslim experiences if you know of any memoirs. So I have two quick picks that I actually pulled from. There's a Book Riot article called Memoirs by Muslim Women, and we'll link that in the show notes. But one of them is Threading My Prayer Rug by Sabia Raymond, which is combining multiple perspectives, they say. So she talks about her experience as a new bride in an arranged marriage, a new immigrant to the United States, and her move from cultural Muslim in a predominantly Muslim country to a devoutly practicing Muslim in a country where Muslims are the other. So that's Threading My Prayer Rug by Sibia Raymond. Um, And the other one is Laughing All the Way to the Mosque, The Misadventures of a Muslim Woman by Zarka Nawaz. Uh, Nawaz created the sitcom Little Mosque on the Prairie, and in this she she writes about her life as a Canadian Muslim woman of Pakistani origin. Um, but she also she talks about serious social issues, but with a pretty light tone, if that makes sense. So, and then she also talks about things like going on the Hajj, wearing the hijab, um, her parents trying to arrange her marriage. And uh, I think that if you're looking for like a lighter read that also deals with, you know, like uh, her, uh, someone's experience as a Muslim woman, that sounds really good. So Laughing All the Way to the Mosque by Zarka Nawaz. And uh, again, that Book Riot article, Memoirs by Muslim Women, is by Karuna Riazi. So uh, thanks, Karuna. Yeah, excellent. All right. So our second question comes from Liza. She says, hey, y'all, I would love some great winter feels nonfiction books. I definitely read more fiction, so maybe some narrative nonfiction, but I also love memoirs. Last winter, I read Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube, and I loved it. And so we're looking for winter feels nonfiction. So this one made me laugh because I actually like don't read a lot of winter nonfiction. And so the number of uh, ideas I had was a little bit small. But I have some suggestions of books that I have really loved that are winter related. So uh, the first one is Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, which is one of my very favorite narrative nonfiction adventure books. Uh, And it is about uh, John Krakauer goes on an expedition to climb Mount Everest. And this expedition just goes completely wrong. And so the book is uh, the tale of this expedition and how just so bad it went. But then also it kind of steps back a little bit to look at um, expeditions to Everest in general and how the way that climbing the mountain has become something that like people who are not skilled mountain climbers like believe that they can or should do. And there's a lot more services and companies like helping people climb the mountain and how that has created some really dangerous situations, both for climbers and for business owners and for the people who live around that area who become a support for those businesses. Uh, And it is particularly great on audio, I would say. I remember I listened to it on audio when I was like driving in my car. And I like, as things were happening, I was just sort of like yelling, like, are you kidding me? Like, why are you doing that? Uh, Because I don't understand why you might climb a mountain, but it does have a lot of wintry things in like an adventure way. Um, and then the other one I wanted to talk about is by David Gran. It's called The White Darkness. And so this, The White Darkness, started as a New Yorker article, uh, which is really beautiful and cool. Um, and then they turned it into a book. And so it's an illustrated book with lots of photos and stuff all about uh, this guy named Henry Worsley, who decides that 
or he spends his life uh, idolizing Ernest Shackleton, who was a polar explorer who tried to become the first person to reach the South Pole and wanted to cross Antarctica on foot. And so Shackleton never completed those journeys, but he like went on all these Arctic adventures. And so Henry Worsley like admires this and wants to do that. And so he he's related to one of the men who was part of Shackleton's missions. And so he spends his whole life kind of being connected to that. This is sort of about two different expeditions that Worsley goes on. The first is in 2008 when he wants to set out across Antarctica with two other descendants of one of Ernest Shackleton's missions. And then in 2015, he decides that he's going to try to walk across Antarctica alone. And so the book is about these two journeys and about Worsley, and it has a ton of like pictures and stuff. And I think that it's another kind of Arctic adventure story, but I really, um, I saw David Grant talk about this book at a, a reading and it just is... So he's such a good writer, and he just has this great way about it. And I think that this book as a a book with all the photos and stuff is a really nice kind of wintry feelings keepsake book. So that is The White Darkness by David Gran. My brother um, did the graphics for that New Yorker article. (laughs) No, are you kidding? That's so cool. (laughs) That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, if you look up the White Darkness New Yorker, um, there's like a barren field type thing in in the Antarctic. And my brother uh, did that. That is so cool. What a small world. Except maybe not because it's books and we do books and he does (laughs) art. Okay. The next question is from Allison. Um, Looking for a book for my mom for Christmas. She likes shorter nonfiction and a variety of topics, but seems to gravitate towards outdoors, science, and faith. This year, she loved Over the Edge, Death in the Grand Canyon, Stiff by Mary Roach, and movies like Night of the Grizzly. Also, my little brother lives in Mexico, so something related to Mexico could be fun, too. So we each have one for this. Uh, I picked The Wonder Trail, True Stories from Los Angeles to the End of the World by Steve Healy. Um, Steve Healy wrote for The Office and 30 Rock, and he's very funny. He's also, uh, for people who are familiar with 30 Rock, he was the Jerem in um, That's Not That Much Cheese in 30 Rock. And he is also in like some background photos in The Office, like when they had camp it was like when Dwight Schrute's farm turned out to be like a, a refugee camp for gay <laughs> soldiers. Anyway, that's a good episode. So he decided he does some travel books. And in this one, he decided to go from Los Angeles to almost the very tip of uh, southern part of, of South America. So he starts in Los Angeles. He goes to Mexico City, to uh, Oaxaca. He goes to ancient Mayan ruins and uh, across the Panama Canal to Colombia. And it's just like it's go. It's literally like going south. He stops at um, Cusco and Machu Picchu, uh, the Galapagos Islands, uh, the Atacama Desert of Chile, um, Patagonia. And it's just like his stories as he's doing this. So it also um, it is very much like a travel log thing but i remember the the part in the reason that I, this came to mind is i remember the part in mexico city really sticking out so again that is the wonder trail true stories from los angeles to the end of the world by steve healy excellent that's a really good pick that sounds really fun so my suggestion for this one is the ghost map the story of london's most terrifying epidemic and how it changed science cities and the modern world by stephen johnson which um potentially if you're like not into like disease books at the moment this one may not be a great pick but i think it's a really interesting book and it fits a lot of what you are looking for so um this book is about the summer of 1854 in london and at the time the city just like didn't have a lot of infrastructure and uh, you know garbage removal clean water sewers, anything like that. And so it was also a breeding ground for diseases. So there's this cholera outbreak that takes hold, but nobody can figure out 
why it's happening. There's all these theories about if it's airborne or whatever, and nobody can figure it out. And so in the book, uh, the book is about a physician and a local curate who try to get together and figure out the the cause of this disease that is wiping out particular neighborhoods. And so um, in kind of exploring their uh, quest to understand this, uh, Stephen Johnson writes about like the history of cities and the spread of disease, how cities like grew, um, how scientific inquiry works, and all of those different things, and just about them solving this medical mystery and then saving a lot of people. So uh, it's a pretty quick read, I remember, and it's it's just really interesting. And Stephen Johnson is such a good writer. He kind of has a really nice way of taking particular stories and then like giving them some sort of like bigger context. So you feel like you're learning about a lot of things while you're also very invested in this mystery story that they're solving. So that is The Ghost Map, the story of London's most terrifying epidemic and how it changed science, cities, and the modern world by Stephen Johnson. Stephen Johnson is also a real big nerd if you read that book. Yeah. <laughs> He'll just get the, uh, I remember he just kept being so like focused on, well, a lot of people think this, but the real answer is this. And here's why. And he was like using research, right? Because he was like, everyone thinks that it changed immediately after Dr. Jon Snow discovered the origin of this pandemic but or epidemic. But no. And here is the real story of how it changed. And yeah, I liked that book. It's real nerdy. It's real nerdy. All right. So our next question uh, comes from Caroline. And she says, last holiday season, you recommended me both Beck Dory Stein and Alyssa Mastromonaco's books. And I loved them both. Uh, from the Today Show or shows last week, she just added Stacey Abrams to the TBR. I'm in the UK and I hadn't heard of any of these before listening to the show. So my request is more books by badass women who I maybe haven't heard of before here in England. Not necessarily politicians, maybe sports people. Uh, the only US female sports star I know is Megan Rapino, or from any other luck, walk of life. So I have uh, two suggestions. I'm, first of all, I'm so excited that you liked Victoria Stein and Alyssa Mastromonaco's books. They are both Obama-era administration memoirs, uh, and I love them both quite deeply. So that's very exciting. Um, my first suggestion for uh, this uh, additional books by badass women uh, is the first one is Forward, a memoir by Abby Wambach. Uh, and so Abby Wambach is a soccer star. She played uh, for the United States in the World Cup several times and in the Olympics. And this memoir is just her personal story. So she, uh, you know, as a, a young person, she played on boys soccer teams because she was just like too much for girls soccer teams at the time. And there wasn't a lot of girls soccer teams even to play on. Um, she eventually becomes the world's highest goal scorer, men or women, in the history of soccer. Uh, she, you know, as part of the 2015 World Cup championship team and all sorts of different things. And so this memoir is about like those professional successes, but also about her personal and inner struggles to reconcile different parts of her life. So she's a, a big competitor. She's a daughter. She's a leader and a wife, but she's also gay. And so her coming out story is part of this. Um, she struggles with depression and mental illness and substance abuse. And so that's part of this story too. And it just, I listened to it on audiobook earlier this year and I just, I really loved it. It is such an open and honest book. She really is. She's just so for uh, transparent about her life and the things for the, the mistakes that she's made, and also like the things that she has wanted to do. And she's not a she's not shy about her competitiveness and about wanting to be the best at things. And I just I really like that. And I, I think I listened to this one right around. Um, I don't remember why I picked it up. I think it was there was something going on with soccer at the time, and I I just I was sort of interested in soccer. And it's a it's a really great soccer book, but it's just a really great memoir in general. So I highly recommend this one. Forward, a memoir by Abby Wambach. 
And then the second book I want to recommend is from the world of technology, and it's called Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change by Ellen Powell. And so Ellen Powell, uh, in 2015, she sued a Silicon Valley venture capital firm for workplace discrimination and retaliation against women and other groups. And so this uh, suit, when it came out in 2015, just really like shocked the technology world. It it, it was part of exposing like toxic culture and all of these different things about uh, that were happening in technology that are happening in lots of other places. But her lawsuit was one of the first ones that really like brought this to light. And so she lost the suit, but she really impacted conversations at technology offices. And so that's why this one is important. So or she's a daughter of immigrants. She went and earned multiple Ivy League degrees, was one of the most powerful women in technology until she kind of pushed back against what she was seeing. And then um, has really, she struggled for a while after that to do that. And so this book is kind of about the lawsuit, the changes she tried to make in technology, representing women. She, um, When she was uh, CEO of Reddit, she banned revenge porn and unauthorized nudes photos and shut down parts of Reddit over online harassment. And so it's just about kind of all of this, women and technology and inclusion in Silicon Valley. And I, again, I read this one and I just thought it was really stunning. She's very... Um, She's just a really interesting person, and I think the inside look she gives at some of the challenges that are happening in Silicon Valley for women is really, really interesting and um, kind of sobering. So that is Reset by Ellen Powell. Uh, and just as a side note, Abby Wambach is married to Glennon Glenn Doyle, Doyle yeah. whose books my wife enjoys very much. Yes, she's another badass. I, her book this year is Untamed. I liked it a lot. Yeah, Michelle, uh, my wife also really loved it. Okay. Question from Jocelyn. For the holiday recommendation show, I was hoping to ask for some recommendations for myself. That's great. We, we totally approve of that. My job will be going part-time for the month of December. I want to use that time to do reading. Okay. I'm looking for recommendations of books that will introduce me to the history of a country I am not already familiar with. It can be a straightforward history or it can come at an issue sideways. For example, I read The Golden Thread by Ravi Samaya this summer. It provided me with info about the DRC. Uh, I prefer to learn about Africa, South and Central America, Asia, or the Middle East. Eastern Europe would be fine too, but please no North America or Western Europe. I totally understand. Other history or history-ish books I have enjoyed include Say Nothing, Mudlark, and How to Survive a Plague. Ooh, I liked Say Nothing and Mudlark, so I should check out How to Survive a Plague. Okay, I have um, recommendations for you. One is The Silk Roads, A New History of the World by Peter Francopan. So uh, Francopan is the director of the Oxford Center for Byzantine Research. And this book, uh, I've it's basically just been lauded, I think. I mean, I don't want to overspeak. Maybe, <laughs> maybe someone's disliked it. But... In terms of giving a a sweeping look at Central Asia and how it has truly changed the world. So this book is very focused on trade. So like uh, silk, spices, furs, gold, religion got traded. And this goes from the Mediterranean's eastern shores all the way to the Himalayas. So what is now um, the Caucasus, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan was once part of the Silk Road, which was bridging Europe and Asia. And it's just, um, I, I think that it's a thing that we touch on maybe really briefly in, a, in American high schools. Like you learn that there was a Silk Road, but you don't learn how incredibly pivotal it was. And so this can be a good sort of recentering book, you know, in terms of like changing where your focus is. 
So again, that is The Silk Roads, A New History of the World by Peter Francopan. And then the other one I wanted to recommend was, okay, I'm going to say it the way that the title was read in the audiobook, which is Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World by Jack Weatherford. I did this on audiobook. I would recommend it not on audiobook because I realized after that I don't know how to spell, or at least in the transliteration, many of the people's names because I only heard them spoken out loud. And that, as a person who likes to know how to spell things correctly, uh, that really bugged me. But Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World was um, completely dispelled all of my notions about Genghis Khan, most of which had been gleaned from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. So it's talking about how brilliant he was, how he completely transformed the culture, and basically could have kept going, but he passed away. And then it goes also into his descendants a little bit. I thought it was just in terms of, again, like changing my opinion, changing my knowledge about something or what I, th- what I thought was knowledge based on an 80s film. It's great. So uh, Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World by Jack Weatherford. Excellent picks. And I have one more to sneak in there too, because it's a book that I love and I love having an opportunity to recommend it to people. And it's called The Lonely War, One Woman's Account of the Struggle for Modern Iran by Nazila Fathi. Uh, and so this book is a memoir and, it, uh, and Nazila Fathi is an author, or she's an Iranian journalist. And so in the summer of 2009, while she was covering uprisings in Tehran, she gets a phone call that says they have given your photo to snipers. So uh, undercover agents start to kind of close in on her family. And so she's forced to flee with her husband and two children living a life of exile. And so in this book, she gives a story of Iran, like from before the 1979 revolution all the way up to that, and then how the 1979 revolution changed the country completely. And then also looks at kind of her own personal story of being a young person who, uh, she was nine years old when the Iranian revolution took place. And so she kind of grew up with this radical change and how it affected her experiences and her families. And so she also looks at how some of these changes caused inequality, especially for the poor and for women. So then she looks at it, how some of these changes vanished overnight and really affected the country and changed the way that she lived and has changed Iran over time. Um, and so it's a really great personal memoir. I think I love books by journalists in particular. Uh, but also she, I remember reading it and thinking like, this is the clearest history of Iran that I have ever really read. And I felt like it gave me the best understanding of that, that I had uh, found in books. And I've read a few in that area. So I think this is another one that if you like a memoir, this would be a good one. The Lonely War, One Woman's Account of the Struggle for Modern Iran by Nazila Fathi. All right. And our uh, final gift guide question comes in two parts. So we'll do them one at a time. And they're from Haley. So uh, the first, my first request is for a book for my dad for Christmas. He recently retired and has been reading a ton. Uh, I love this, by the way. So we've started a kind of book club where we both read books about a building or a structure. I'm a structural engineer, so it's been fun to talk about these books and geek out about buildings when he's done. Books he's liked recently are The Great Bridge by David McCullough and The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, but he liked the parts about the Chicago architects and the World's Fair more than the murder part. Uh, that also made me laugh. Uh, he really likes David McCullough, but he said he would have liked The Path Between Seas more if there was more about the technical aspects of the Panama Canal. Last Christmas, I got him Go Like Hell by A.J. Barn, and he loved it. I've kind of run out of books to recommend him, so I'm looking for a book about the design and construction of a notable building or landmark, or just a book about cool engineering that preferably reads like fiction. Everything about this recommendation makes me smile, so I'm excited to recommend a couple books. Um, Alice, you're up first. Um, yeah, so when I saw that uh, it was focused on buildings or like how they were built, I was like, I have read one book. <laughs> 
<laughs> about that sort of thing. And it is Eiffel's Tower, the thrilling story behind Paris's beloved monument and the extraordinary World's Fair that introduced it. Uh, I actually read this when I was in Paris because uh, I like to be on the nose like that. Um, this is by Jill Jones, by the way. But it is, it's really good just in terms of giving you an idea, you know, something that we now just take for granted. And uh, it was at the time pretty controversial. A lot of people thought that it was like a blight on the Parisian landscape. Um, I love the story of um, Guy de Maupassant hated it so much that he would have lunch at the top of it every day. And people were like, why do you do that if you hate it? And he said, it's the only place in Paris where I can't see it. I just thought that was cute. <laughs> but anyway, so it, it talks about how it was built, uh, like a lot about, you know, like the, the structural issues. Well, not structural issues, because it's fine. It's been there for like 100 years. But the issues of getting it of getting it constructed. But also, you know, again, like pairing it with the story of the World's Fair. Uh, it, that also reminded me of your mention of Devil in the White City. So um, yeah, I think Eiffel's Tower by Jill Jones would be great. That sounds awesome. I want to read that one too. So my recommendation is a book called The Last Castle, The Epic Story of Love, Loss, and American Royalty in the Nation's Largest Home by Denise Kiernan. Uh, and this is a book about the Biltmore House in North Carolina. And it's also a book about Gilded Age America and kind of everything that was happening at the time. So George Vanderbilt was uh, this very rich guy, and he married a woman in Edith Dresser and uh, then moved to North Carolina to move into this enormous estate that George was trying to build. So before the two of them got married, Vanderbilt had dedicated his life to creating a spectacular European-style estate on 125,000 acres of North Carolina wilderness. He had Frederick Law Olmsted come to do the landscape architecture. He collaborated with Richard Morris Hunt to build these, or the 175,000 square foot building. And it had art and antiques, and there's like a whole village outside of it. So he's really like trying to make this European estate in North Carolina. Um, and so when Edith comes and gets married and moves there, she becomes mistress of this estate that's three times times the size of Washington, D.C., and that has this whole village and surrounding rural area. And this book is fascinating because it is about the construction of the Biltmore House and just like what an insane estate this was. But also um, the Biltmore has been around for so long that it like has uh, effects on all sorts of different times and places. And there are a ton of really famous people who have connections to this mansion and show pop up in the story. So like F. Scott Fitzgerald, Thomas Wolfe, Teddy Roosevelt, John Singer Sargent, Henry James, Edith Wharton, like all of them have a connection to the Biltmore and they show up in this story. And I just thought this one was fascinating. And I think, you know, again, fits with like the building of a building, but also like the, the context that that building has when it was built and how it has changed over time. So that is the the Last Castle, The Epic Story of Love, Loss, and American Royalty in the Nation's Largest Home by Denise Kiernan. And then the second part of Haley's question is, uh, my other request for a recommendation is for my brother. He mostly reads nonfiction, and I'm drawing a blank on what to get him. He's a geologist that loves to fish, so anything nature-related would be ideal. He's read some Bill Bryson, but didn't really like it. I understand. Some books that he liked recently are The Feather Thief by Kirk Wallace Johnson and Chesapeake Requiem by Earl Smith. He recently read The Pioneers by David McCullough and said he didn't like it, or he didn't like that it felt like it erased the Native American history in the area. So I've been looking for something that will make up for that. He lives in the foothills of Appalachia, and so he's very interested in learning more about that area as well. So I really took the nature theme and ran with it for, for this uh, recommendation request. And I recommend The Book of Eels by Patrick Svensson. This was nominated for a bunch of awards this year, I mm -hmm. think. 
but it's uh, translated from Swedish and uh, is A+, especially if you're looking for nature, but also something like, um, you know how like H is for Hawk was about Hawks, but also not about Hawks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's like that. So it's chapters about his father and eels. So talking about uh, – because his his father was obsessed with, like, fishing for eels. So it would, like, talk about, like, that you have this personal element, but then also he goes into, like, Aristotle, who thought that eels just emerged from mud, like, were made <laughs> – like, like, were made from mud. Um, sorry, I don't like Aristotle. He sucked. And then uh, Freud spent a lot of time looking for eel testes through a microscope as a teenager. And he also talks about the eel in literature, which I I just love books that do this, right? Where you like have a topic, a really specific one, and then you go back through history and talk about like how people thought of it, how that's changed, how it showed up in like well-known people's lives. And then I love nature. So that those things combined make me a big fan of this book. So again, it is The Book of Eels by Patrick Svensson. Excellent. That sounds really fun. Um, So I'm actually going to recommend a book that I have not personally read, but when I was reading about all the things your brother's interested, like this one that's on my TBR that I just haven't picked up yet, really felt like it was a good fit. So I'm going to have to just read a little bit from the book jacket because I haven't actually read it yet, but it's called Trace, Memory, History, Race, and the American Landscape by Laura Savoy. This is a book that uses personal journeys and historical inquiry to explore how America's still unfolding history and ideas of race have marked its people and its land. So I'm just going to read part of the um, book jacket because it's really good. So sand and stone are Earth's fragmented memory. Each of us, too, is a landscape inscribed by memory and loss. One life-defining lesson Lawrence Savoy learned as a young girl was this. The American land did not hate. As an educator and Earth historian, she has tracked the continent's past from relics of deep time, but the paths of ancestors toward her, paths of free and enslaved Americans, colonists from Europe, and peoples indigenous to this land, lie largely eroded at last. And so this is a book that kind of looks across the United States to try and understand national history and the past and voices that haven't been heard through uh, Earth historian and geology and that kind of thing. So it just, I read a couple of reviews and it just sounded really beautiful and interesting and I just haven't really gotten to pick it up yet, but it felt like it would fit in with a lot of the kind of things your brother is interested both in his job and also kind of the missing pieces that oh I'm sorry this book actually came out in 2016 but I felt like it would fit in with a lot of um, what your brother was talking about so that is Trace Memory History Race and the American Landscape by Laurette Savoy that was really fun those are all like really good questions and I appreciated all of the detail in them and your families all just sound like such fun and interesting people um so thank you so much for taking some time to write in and ask for recommendations I love the doing the book club with a parent I I think that's super cute so fun All right. And so with that, we will wrap up with uh, the books that we're reading right now at this very moment. So um, I am reading A Promised Land by Barack Obama, which is his new memoir that just came out this week that covers the first part of his life and the first part of his presidential administration. Um, I'm like 45 pages into this like 750 page book. Um, (laughs) So I have many, many pages to go. And I don't have a lot of feelings about it other than like, He's a beautiful and amazing writer, and I miss that in a leader. And the, like, love and admiration he has for his wife is so clear in, like, every page of this book. And I just love it so much uh, because I love Michelle Obama, too. She's so cool. And he, like, he knows how cool she is. And you can just tell he knows uh, as he's writing about their life together. So it's good so far, although 45 pages in is not very far in a book that is 768 some pages long. So A Promised Land by Barack Obama. I will report back in the future. I believe in you. Um <laughs> 
I just rewatched his Between Two Ferns with Zach ah, Galifianakis. So good. And there's the there's the part where he like Zach calls him a nerd, and he's like, "Do you think Michelle would would choose a nerd?" <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> oh gosh, it's so good. Okay, um, I am on. I literally have like four pages left of the Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Um, we had it for book club. We had book club. I think I still had like. 90 pages left which if anyone from my book club hears this i'm sorry but it's really good i mean that's just what everyone says about it and it's true it's a really really good book so great job Britt bennett i want to read the mothers now and with that you can find us on social media i am at it's alice time and kim is at kim the dork our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by jen zink Thank you, Jen, so much. And if you feel so inclined, we would love it if you would take a minute to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.